Well, Oregon's got two 2024 quarterback commits at the high school level, which means they'll have at least four going into next spring on the roster. And the likelihood of Ty Thompson starting a game one day continues to drop, but it's not done yet. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. Lots to get to today goodness gracious who says we're in a season in which football isn't happening you wouldn't know it if you listen to this show because we're always keeping you occupied with Oregon football and uh, any basketball content that's out there as well but the football storylines are abundant not just that four-star wide receiver Dylan Gresham committed yesterday for the Ducks we'll talk about him tomorrow with Brian Smith our recruiting expert here at the Locked On Network but we're starting with the quarterbacks because now that Oregon's got Two quarterback commits in the 2024 cycle. Luke Moga, you've got Michael Van Buren. They will then add to the quarterback room that as of now consists past this season of Austin Novosad and Ty Thompson. Now, I could sit here and pretty succinctly make an argument for three of those guys to start. I don't think Moga could start as a true freshman. I think he's seen as the most developmental project of the bunch plus he'll be you know one of the least experienced of course so as of right now that'll be the quarterback room and so then the question becomes what happens with ty thompson and his loyalty to oregon football is going to be tested again and i don't have the inclination right now i would understand the argument i would understand if it happened if he ended up transferring but i don't have the inclination that he is planning to leave or that he wants to leave oregon because He's had every opportunity to do so. He's had every reason to do so. He could have gone down to the, the G5 level, maybe even other Power 5 schools, and found an opportunity to go start at quarterback. Like, you telling me that Kenny Dillingham wouldn't have taken him down at Arizona State and took Drew Pine instead? Like, I've seen the two of them. Now, we haven't seen Ty Thompson consistently in action and whatnot, but you get the point that I'm making. He could have had other options available. So, I think everybody's instinct here as well. That means Ty Thompson's going to transfer. I, I don't think that that's the case because he could have done that. There are a lot of kids who are that highly rated recruits. I'd say most kids that are that highly rated quarterbacks that would have left already. The fact that he hasn't, and we haven't even really heard major rumblings as to whether he would do such a thing is indicative of how he feels about Oregon. He clearly likes it there, wants to continue to compete. He'll be the backup quarterback for this season. We'll have a chance to be the starter next year. But this question came in. And remember, you can always be a part of the mailbag, YouTube comments, or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks, DMs and mentions wide open. This from Chef204. Question with Michael Van Buren officially announcing his commitment to Oregon, does Ty Thompson see himself on the on this roster next year? Well, I think he has the best chances to best chance to start. The way the coaching staff have approached his reps make it seem like he's not vetted to be the starter next year. 
Even though the non-conference schedule looks great, even having four games due to the Hawaii extra game rule, could they look at one more grad transfer over tie? While he did do better in the second half of the spring game, we still see the same mistakes he made last year and can see him losing the backup job to Novosad, who I think performed well for his first action at Autzen if he doesn't pr- improve throughout the season. He's got a follow-up question as well, but I want to talk about all of that. So I think he does see himself as being on the roster next year. Now, here's what could transpire. He is going into this season as Oregon's backup quarterback. I thought Novosad showed some real promise and some encouraging things, but even compared to Ty Thompson, who we agree is not as refined as we would like him to be at the quarterback position, given what his potential is with his athleticism and arm strength, he is still ahead of Novosad. And I think he's going to stay there. He stayed ahead of, uh, what was it? Was Butterfield the third string quarterback a year ago? This is all just getting jumbled in, in my head now. But he has stayed the number two quarterback for the last couple of seasons. And I think that will continue to be the case. And going into this year, right, you're looking at it from a standpoint of, okay, year two with Dan Lanning, year two in, you know, a very similar offensive system. You have a new offensive coordinator, of course. But I think Ty probably looks at next year and says, I'm going to have a chance to start. There is absolutely positively zero, zero certainty with regards to the quarterback position. I I can already tell you right now, once football season ends in 2023 for the Ducks, and hopefully we're celebrating a national championship, probably not, but hey, you never know. It'll happen one day. The biggest offseason topic next year will be quarterbacks because in the transfer portal era, There are going to be a lot of options there, but Oregon's going to have a lot of options that are already in-house, and I don't think that they're going to necessarily need to go to the portal. Now, they always could, but will they feel they need to? That depends. That depends on how Ty Thompson develops. That depends on how Austin Novosad develops or how either of the true freshmen look come spring 2024 uh, when they're likely to enroll. So I right now would lean towards, yeah, he's going to be on the roster next year. But if he then, you know, a third time around going for a starting quarterback job, or at least trying to compete for it, doesn't get it. I could see him transferring out in the spring window, right? The way that uh, chance Nolan did at Oregon state, I think this year, I don't know if Nolan actually played in the spring game, actually. Uh, I, I think, I think I have that wrong, but we've seen quarterback movement throughout the spring guys who stayed on the roster through the winter, through, you know, the, the early months of the year, but then as spring practice ramped up and they saw where they fell in the depth chart, decided, Nope, I think I can go play somewhere else. And that's my best interest. I could see him doing that at the time. Is that a guarantee he doesn't? No, because it seems like he wants to really give it a a shot at Oregon. But next part of your question here is the only piece I want to add to that question is would they consider starting a freshman at quarterback with how easy the non-conference is set up? They start the season at Hawaii, then have three straight home games with Idaho, Texas Tech, and Boise State. Those first two games are a great chance for a freshman to start. 13 games may be a lot, but if Novosad, who will possibly redshirt, Van Buren, or even Moga start, then the schedule starts perfect. So I, I haven't dove into the, the scheduling thing next year, but having four non-conference games is highly unusual. I, I'm not totally sure. I've been trying to kind of you know ask some people and find out about how that works. Again, if any of you have, have insight on that front, I'm going to keep digging and finding out why that's the case, but I feel like that might be a a glitch in the system somewhere. I mean, it's not, it hasn't been officially released by anybody, but that's unusual, but just, but just generally speaking, when you look at the non-conference setup and and you look and say, okay, well he could play in this game or freshman could play in these games. 
Freshmen can play in those games. They will not start those games. A head coach, no matter who you're playing, will never start somebody that is not the guy who gives you the best chance to win, even if you're playing an FCS opponent. Last year, I was part of the radio broadcast for Southern Utah when we went up to Salt Lake City and played the Utes. Cam Rising started that game until it was in hand, and those games provide a chance for young quarterbacks to see the field. Absolutely. And we have two of those games this year, by the way, right? One of them is Hawaii and one of them is Portland State, who we play in week one. Hopefully we will see Ty Thompson and perhaps see some growth and development on that front. Maybe even see a little Austin Novosad, but probably more Ty Thompson in that sense. But they do provide opportunities for those guys to play. They're not going to provide opportunities for those guys to start because you ensure the win, you you do, you take absolutely nothing for granted. FCS teams have beaten FBS teams before, and we've seen big upsets, and you don't take any chances on that front, right? You don't start Ty Thompson against Portland State, get down 7 nothing at the end of the first quarter or something because Ty can't move the ball, just in you know, a hypothetical, and then put in Bo Nix. You do it the other way. You put in Bo Nix and all the starters, and you run up the score, and then you bring the other guys in, just like we did against Eastern Washington um, a season ago. So I, I think that's how Ty fits into this conversation is he will have the opportunity to compete and win a starting spot with a coaching staff that he at that point will be entering year three with, with Dan Lanning at the helm, probably year two with Will Stein as offensive coordinator, familiarity with weapons and the offensive line. He'll have every chance to do so. And I think that's why at least until spring of next year, he ends up uh, sticking it out. Now, one of the guys he'll be competing with at that time will be Michael Van Buren, who will come in in the class of 2024 as a true freshman, who reminds one of you of a particular Oregon quarterback that I tend to agree with when breaking down his film. And I also tend to agree that if you want to get your gambling fix, you go to FanDuel because you can make a fast break there during the NBA playoffs with a no-sweat first bet if you're a new customer up to one thousand dollars that's a thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win which is a pretty sweet deal they've got great promotions every day it's a safe secure super easy to use app you get paid instantly they've got a great interface there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than america's number one sports book visit vandal.com slash locked on get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars that's fanduelcom slash locked on fanduel official sports betting partner of the nba So Jordan sends in this question all the way from Australia, by the way, locked on ducks, international Oregon podcast. That should be the new branding of the show that I give you when, uh, when I first hit the air every day. So he says, Hey Spencer, love the show. I listen to it every morning on the way to work in Australia. So awesome. Like most duck fans, I'm excited for the Michael Van Buren commitment. When I watch his highlights, he reminds me a bit of Vernon Adams. Both slightly undersized, but both have strong arms, very accurate and capable runners of the ball. I loved watching Vernon Adams play and believe Oregon would have been a playoff team if he didn't get hurt. I've had that take for a long time. I will take it to my grave. That team would have gotten to the playoff. They beat Stanford, who ended up winning the Pac-12 North. They had a lot of returners from a college football playoff team. 
They went nine and three in the regular season. And the only game they lost was at Michigan state who ended up being a playoff team. They definitely could have done that if Vernon Adams hadn't gotten hurt in uh, that particular season, which is unfortunate, but uh, Jordan continues and says, I'm excited to see how Van Buren goes. Curious to know if you have a player comparison in mind when watching Van Buren's tape. Yeah. So I talked about him a little bit on yesterday's show. He's a smaller guy, 5'11", 185 pounds. The scouting report on him, according to Andrew Ivins of 24-7 Sports, is that he has to clean up some decision-making and, and field processing to reach his full potential, but that he's capable of doing so, that he played well against a very big-time high school team in De La Salle High School from uh, the state of California. He is mobile. He is shifty. He's got a good arm, not a big guy, has got a solid deep ball, but that his accuracy – can still improve on that front. I think that's a distinguishing characteristic between him and Vernon Adams. Vernon Adams had probably the most accurate deep ball. Herberts was pretty, Herberts was good at times. I think Vernon Adams probably had the most accurate and consistent deep ball of any Oregon quarterback of, of my lifetime. I mean, Masoli had some great throws. Thomas had some good ones, but Mariota was not the greatest deep ball thrower in the world. Had some good ones, but Adams threw this just beautiful high arc. Bo Nix's is really good when it's there, but VA was just was on the money. He'd put the ball right on guys' hands, even when they were wide open. Like his precision in that realm was was really, really good. I like the comparison because of the size. When I was watching Van Buren, the guy who came to mind before Vernon Adams actually was Bryce Young. Now, not at that particular level, but style of play and the way in which he operates at the quarterback position, I think there are some similarities there. It's easy to draw that comp with his uh, smaller size. He, I think, is actually a bit bigger than Bryce Young, who is teeny, teeny, tiny, but really, really good. But I think that what what VA um, had was a good throwing motion. I think Van Buren's a little bit more polished in his mechanics, but they've both got a quick release. They've both got good arms. They can both throw on the move. I think Van Buren, at least right now, is more athletic than Vernon Adams was, who was a mobile quarterback, but not necessarily a great runner. Like He wasn't juking guys out of their shoes all the time. That's what Van Buren shows when he tucks the ball and runs on film, is he's got the athleticism of you know running back or wide receiver uh, a little bit out there. So I, I think that that comparison is pretty solid, and I, I think that that is – that would be a great, great career trajectory to have is to try and develop and develop him into a Vernon Adams type type quarterback, which means if you give him weapons, if you give him a good defense, if you give him a good offensive line, he can have you playing at a conference championship level without feeling that, you know, he's carrying the load at times the way, uh, you know, Mariota was just the, the focal point of, of the offense. Oregon obviously ran the ball very well, but Mariota is what everything went through. And I don't know that Van Buren, you know, at least early in his career could be that sort of guy, but could he be a Vernon Adams type player? Yeah, I do. And I think the same thing goes for Moga, honestly, is the way that these guys can move outside the pocket, can throw on the run. I think that they all have, you know, traits that you look at and say, okay, I see how you could be making plays at the power five level. I see how this translates to being a starting quarterback for for the ducks and winning football games one day in in the pac 12 so yeah i i like the vernon adams uh jump i i did not uh have my mind go there initially which now that i heard this i'm kind of disappointed about 
<laughs> as, as an Oregon fan, like that I went to Bryce Young first, but obviously I've seen more uh, Bryce Young recently than uh, Vernon Adams. But I like that comparison, and, and I think that he's he's a guy that is developmental at some level. But is there real upside there? Yes, absolutely. But that'll be about the relationships that he establishes with his offensive line, with his offensive coordinator, Will Stein, at least in the short run, with Dan Lanning, the head coach, all that sort of stuff. He has to be given the chance to do that. And Moga the same. Neither guy, um, not neither one of them are coming in and we're going to have the expectation, oh, they need to be starting right away. We don't feel that with Novosad. I don't feel that with Van Buren. I don't feel that with Moga. I, I think they all, you know, Novosad probably won't see the field hardly at all this season, and that's okay. But then going into next year, Right. I think we have to have those sorts of expectations with regards to, to Moga and Van Buren because Novosad's going to have a year on both of them. Right. He will have gotten in the weight room. I think Novosad can spin it pretty solidly. He's a pretty mobile kid as well. So I, I like where Oregon's quarterback room is at. I'm not, you know, in, in the mindset of we have the next Mariota or Herbert or Heisman Trophy winner in there. But do I think you have a lineup of quarterbacks that is sufficient to allow you to continue to compete in the long run? have developmental prospects yeah absolutely and then there's always the transfer portal right it, it is the odds that between Novosad, van buren and moga and this will be an ongoing discussion you know which one's the most likely to start flip a coin i mean match them up give one guy a random buy flip a coin i mean you really really don't know because ty thompson came in with all the physical abilities in the world hasn't developed into a starting quarterback yet maybe he does in year four but he hasn't here in year three Maybe year four is a pop year and he's a late bloomer in that sense. We, we really don't know. But th there's a lot that you can't predict when a kid comes out of high school, especially at the quarterback position, especially, especially at uh, the quarterback position. So next question here from China is that, that that's the name of the question asker, by the way. We don't have another international country to talk about on the show, but that would be cool if I got a question all the way from China. Uh, anyway, I think it was you. Might have been. I've given a lot of opinions on this show. But someone said the style of defense that Dan Lanning is going for is hard to get right in the first year. Said that Saban and Kirby both struggled their first year with this style. I don't think this was my take, but it's an interesting one. What exactly is this style and advantages? Disregard if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Thanks. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what all the play calls are, you know, consistently, you know, what they sound like, what assignments they give. But the personnel that Georgia runs or the defensive base personnel that Georgia runs that Lanning had over there that he's brought back over here to the Ducks and a lot of teams in college football, frankly, are running is a 4-2-5. You have four down linemen, you have two linebackers, and you have five defensive backs on the field. And that's your base personnel. You go to a heavier personnel with three linebackers. You go to, you know, an even lighter personnel and put a third corner on the field, right? That nickel spot I think is the most important position. And I think that's part of the reason that Oregon, you know, kind of struggled at times a season ago is because they're most, they played a number of guys at the nickel spot, which is also a potential area of concern or area for, for improvement going into this year, because that nickel spot has to be able to basically play consistently at all three levels. And last year, one guy who played a lot of nickel, not exclusively, but a lot of, of nickel safety was Bennett Williams.
And Bennett Williams had some moments last year where he wasn't so great in pass coverage. But what Bennett Williams did exceptionally well, and he did it very, very well, defending the run as a defensive back or coming on the blitz, he was really, really good. But he didn't have the speed to keep up with wide receivers, so that's where he struggled. So I think that that's an area where Oregon is trying to get better, right? You look at a guy like Tysheem Johnson, who they've brought in, they feel that that's someone he looked fast and explosive in the spring game. And I think can bring that element to Oregon's defense that it was kind of missing at that position a year ago. Cause the other guy, they would rotate down to play nickel safety. Sometimes depending on the packages, the rotation of players that they were going with was Jamal Hill. Who's now playing linebacker, right? Not a huge high end speed guy. Again, those players do their best work kind of in the box, right? First down yard marker and in. And when you ask them to go over the top or get them in open space or put a receiver on them, they're going to be at, at a speed disadvantage there. So what you're looking for, I think, compared to last year, one of the things, right? You, you have to have great pass rushers because if you're not going to have another linebacker in there who you can blitz and you know take on an offensive lineman better than a defensive back can, then you need to be able to get great pressure with your front four. So I think that's the first component of how Oregon's defense takes a step up uh, this next season. I think they've done that with Jordan Birch, Mateo Uyunglele, Brandon Dorless coming back, Casey Rogers coming back, a lot of depth there, Popo Amavai returning. I think that defensive line is significantly revamped from a season ago. Remember, Popo in 2021, first team all Pac-12, if memory serves. He was really, really good. Not having him last year, I think, hurt the Ducks in in a number of areas but that nickel spot when Oregon ran this same base personnel in 2019 with their last great defense their nickel guy was Javon Holland and what you need from a nickel safety there is what Javon Holland gave you and that's playmaking ability at all three levels you have to be big enough to match up with big bodied receivers and tight ends quick enough to keep up with wide receivers strong enough to be and explosive enough to be able to blitz up around the line of scrimmage and depth or adept, I think is the word I'm looking for at making plays in the run game. Right. And that's what Bennett Williams did really, really well is if he was kind of hovering in the box and they'd run a swing pass, a toss, a sweep, whatever he could get in there. And he was a very, very sure tackler. Right. So hopefully Tysheem Johnson still has that. But what Javon Holland did so, so well was he could make those plays and he was a freak athlete. And I remember 2018 Red Box Bowl, barn burner, 7-6 victory over Michigan State, right? That defense didn't allow a touchdown. I remember the play where I realized Javon Holland was going to be really, really good. And it was in that game. He'd been good all season. And I'd heard that, but then I saw it and they showed the replay of him. And there was either a wide receiver or a pretty athletic tight end who was running a 10 yard out or so at the first down, whoever it was, eight to 10 yard out. And Javon Holland was standing still and he was kind of sitting on that particular route, right? He was cutting off inside leverage. So if the guy had cut in, he would have run right into Javon Holland's body, had nothing open. He was trying to force him to the outside to make the quarterback uh, you know, make a long throw, which he tried to. But Holland from a standstill was able to accelerate and anticipate the route breaking away from him. And he was able to explode out of his stance immediately to get up there and swat the ball away. And that sort of athleticism doesn't come around a lot. So 
I think those are the two things, you know, with regards to the, the assignments and where you're supposed to be. There were moments last year where the linebackers specifically really looked like they were just out of position sometimes and they just weren't in the right spots. But I think getting year two under their belt for a guy like Jeffrey Bossa could do really good things. I'm still optimistic about what he can do. But I think having consistent high-end play from that nickel spot, especially in a pass-happy world of football now, is really important. And then you've got to be able to get pressure with four. Because one thing that I noticed we, we did a number of times last year was to generate extra pressure, we would blitz guys from the secondary. But sometimes we'd blitz players from the secondary and it would come from the wide side of the field. So if you didn't have high-level speed, or frankly, even if you did, it could take too long to get there. So then your defense was exposed and you basically had a guy who wasn't doing anything on a particular play. So I, I think for those for those moments, you'd like to be able to just not have to blitz as often as Oregon did at times last year, which could leave them in in one-on-one -on -one coverage situations. A great defense is able to get pressure with four. So I think that, yeah, for the returners, there's an element of understanding the scheme and such, but Really, it's about having the right personnel in place. And I think those two things, the nickel spot and the defensive line, are, are the most crucial areas of improvement and growth for Oregon's defense from last year to this year, assuming they're not radically changing the scheme, which I highly, highly doubt. So, okay, uh, I think I got that, uh, that answer for you. Uh, next one here from John. Um, this is a complicated question to answer, and I'm going to be kind of spitballing, but... Love the pistol breakdown. Please, please, please do more segments like that. Asking you shall receive. Remember, you can ask me a mailbag question on anything you want, and I'll answer it here on the show. Here's a follow-up question to your opening segment. Of the top three skill groups in the pack, we talked about that last week. I've got USC 1 for overall weapons, Oregon 2, Washington 3. That's running backs, tight ends, and receivers. Uh, of the top three skill groups, which skill groups block the best? So between those three, it it – it's tough to say exactly, but here's here's what I will say based on the teams um, and, and just kind of how their offenses are made up. Avoiding the actual bias of me being an Oregon fan here, of course, I do think the answer is the Ducks because an underrated component of being able to run the football is you have to have guys that can block who are not offensive linemen. And Oregon's tight ends were really solid against opposing defenders in run blocking situations last year. You can't run the ball well if you don't run block. You you If your tight ends don't run block and if your receivers don't run block. And I think this is especially true for the Ducks because our primary running back was Bucky Irving. What did he have a tendency to do last year? Go up the middle, not like what he saw, and just dance to the outside where he needed to have blocks. So, I think when you look at what the other teams do in their run game, USC's receivers aren't asked to block very much. They're almost always in an RPO kind of set. I mean, Oregon runs a lot of RPO as well, and, and Washington want, runs some too, not as much. But USC's receivers aren't asked to do as much because they're not I, – I, I don't think they're as capable of doing as much. And the other thing too – is the blocking ability of Oregon's running backs is quite good. That's why we ran the, I love and hope we bring back the two running back sets last year where you'd go empty on one side of the formation with, you know, college rules are weird and you can leave an offensive lineman uncovered. And then you just run 
a, a sweep to that side. And rather than pulling a guard and a tight end around, you just pull a guard into the hole or a backside tackle, and you have one of the running backs be a lead blocker. Jordan James did that last year. Sean Dollars did that last year. Noah Whittington did that last year. Bucky Irving, by the way, if you go back and watch some games and highlights, he threw a bunch of great blocks a season ago. So I think the the ability for Oregon to run the football better than USC and Washington and not be as reliant on the pass is indicative of, yes, the offensive philosophy and the offensive line, but those teams had good offensive lines too. And I think that the weapons are a differentiating factor for Oregon on the outside. You know, We've had some great blocking receivers over the years. Johnny Johnson was Johnny Johnson was awesome. Jalen Red was pretty good. Keenan Lowe was awesome. Josh Huff. I, I mean, Braylon Addison. Like there have been some really, really good wide receivers uh, who block well for the Ducks on the perimeter. And I think that combined with the tight ends, it has really, really been uh, essential. And I think when you watch teams like especially Washington, when you watch them run the football, they're relying on their offensive line and tight ends. They don't need their receivers to block as much because they're mostly, you know, an inside zone running team that uses it to keep a defense honest and really wants to, you know, spin the football around the field with Michael Penix and and their wide receivers. So I do think Oregon blocks the best of the three, which is not insignificant, but I think their weapons are second to, to USC's, which are really good. And I think top to bottom better than, than Washington's, though I think the Huskies, I'd say they've got the better top three receivers. But once you incorporate the running backs and tight ends and you look at the, the entire facets of their games, I think Oregon's definitely got the edge in that sense. Uh, finally here, told you, busy show. Oregon XYZ asks, speaking of current, speaking of recruiting, Spencer, what do you look for in a high school player? Depends on the position, but I mean, it depends. Well, that, that, that's like the easy answer, right? I could say uh, it depends on the position ends of the show, but you took the time to ask me a question. I'm not going to take, you know, 10 seconds of my time reading it and answering it. So I think for quarterbacks, it depends on the scheme that you are running. I think for running backs, I'm looking for Oregon to be able to have a balance. I like to have guys who have different styles. For example, 2009 running back room had three guys, you know, when LeGarrette wasn't suspended, but LaMichael, and Kenyon, they were kind of the same, but LeGarrette was a change of pace sort of guy. So if I'm looking at a running back position, I'm going to consider, you know, what do, what else does Oregon have in the room and what do they need, right? So if you're talking about wide receiver, I want some big bodied guys like Troy Franklin, like Treshawn Holden, like Kyler Casper, or, you know, those sorts of guys, Jurion Dickey, who are big like that. But I also... I like a Chris Hudson type. I like a Tez Johnson type, a slot player who can be a little bit more of a possession guy. Speaking of great wide receiving wide receivers who block, Chris Hudson, dude is ridiculously physical. Really, really good blocker on the edge. He's definitely got the edge on Tez Johnson in that sense. Tez has got the edge in, in the speed and probably route running department. But Chris is a really, really good blocker. But so, you know, tight ends, I like guys like Kenny and Sadiq. Uh, I'll just kind of go like position by position here and give you a, a brief overlook. Tight ends, I like guys who played wide receiver in high school. Terrence Ferguson did that. He's really good. Kenny and Sadiq did that. I think he's going to be really good. But then I also do like having, you know, a bigger, bulkier guy like a Cam McCormick or Maliki Montevau who can be a different sort of player in there, right? Capable of catching passes, but more prolific in, in, in run blocking, for instance. So I, I like offensive weapons to be able to move around a bit. And then offensive line play, I mean, big, strong, and mobile. 
hot take i know um but i mean at the edge spot defensive line i want guys at the edge position who you know can stand up don't have to have their hand in the ground to to be effective defensive tackle you want big run stuffers in there i think primarily like i think about it like this you know corners and safeties i think it's pretty obvious what you're looking for there and i talked about the nickel safety earlier you need a rare blend of speed size strength and explosiveness but I've always thought about a defense as your interior defensive linemen and your linebackers are going to primarily, not entirely, but primarily determine how successful you are against the run. Oregon was very good against the run a year ago. We had good interior defensive linemen. We had good linebackers. Can improve, definitely. But if you're going to defend against the pass, you need defensive backs and you need edge rushers. And Oregon had one great defensive back. We had one in TriQuest Bridges who got better as the year went on by the end of the season was good, but struggled at other points. Didn't have a lot of playmakers at the back end with, with the safety position. And you didn't have a lot of playmakers at the edge position. Now you do. So that's kind of what I, what, what I've always thought about defensively uh, in terms of what you're looking for there. But you know, for high school recruits, again, I, I I'm thinking about what Oregon has, right? So Roderick Pleasant, Cole Martin are, you know, nickel or slot corners, right? They're not guys probably who are going to primarily play on the outside. Maybe they could. Thomas Graham did, but I like taller, big-bodied corners like a TriQuest Bridges, Christian Gonzalez, Dante Manning, those sorts of guys. Safeties, just be a playmaker. Don't care how big you are. I don't care if you're 6'5", Brian Addison, 5'11", Verone McKinley. Be a, play, be a playmaker back there. But interesting question there. We got plenty more coming this week. We got recruiting tomorrow. Brian Smith will be here. We'll talk about the quarterback position. We'll talk about the uh, latest commit for the Ducks at wide receiver. So make sure you tune in, subscribe if you haven't. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.